1: Welcome the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast, dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper, along with my seatmate this week, Cliffy D. How are you, buddy?
0: Oh man, what a weekend! Let me just say that mm-hmm. what a weekend.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, so- sometimes Friday night football
0: is a can be a party. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I tell you what, what better way to celebrate the start of the weekend? one of the last weekends of summer, unfortunately, but what a better way to start the weekend than with a good old fashioned Alouettes football game, Friday night lights.
1: Yep. Uh, and one that actually is one to remember. I, this, this, this one will probably go into the, into my memory bank of one of those ones that you, you will, that I will happen to remember for quite a while. Uh, you know, it goes along with that when, you know, the last second win with Tanner Marsh in the rain. Um, you know the, the the game where AC uh, became the all time leading passer in pro football history, um, to Mike Pringle uh, breaking the two thousand yard rushing barrier. So th- there are many milestones and many games that I that I'll remember. Obviously the thirteenth man game. Um, so it is, this this will be one of them. Uh, you know this is this is the, I think the team that we were hoping to have, and this is the team that we've been that we have been wanting to have that the past two plus seasons and you know it's you know everybody says it's it's i think even the players have said it too it's a work in progress etc 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 so it's you know it's yes it's only it's only two games especially with pipkin under center but you know we we can we have a lot to talk about that that's the main thing that's the yeah. main thing um but first, let's talk about that uh, touchdown rule change. No, we're not going to talk about that first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think first, uh, I think first thing we do want to do is uh, we want to give out a, a thanks to uh, to all the fans who gave us a like, gave us love for uh, for our um, uh, our diversity picture that we posted on social media. Um, it was our pleasure to be able to rep the league for this campaign that they're that they're doing for the diversity of strength campaign um and you know props to the league and thanks to the league again for uh, for uh, sending every podcast within the cf podcast uh a family a a way to represent it
0: and uh again it was uh it was our pleasure to, to do so right cliff absolutely it was an honor and a privilege to help spread the word help educate as many fans as possible as to what diversity of strength is all about. And fun fact, we actually got to educate a couple of uh, Alouettes mm-hmm. as to uh, the history behind yeah, not just true. the diversity of strength, but also uh, talking about uh, Alouettes legend, Herb Trawick, who was our player, if you will, that was being honored on the back of the the shirts that were being sold at the stadium. Uh, after the game, uh, Tim and I were able to get onto the field and uh, met, met with a few of the players. Including, uh, thanks, Cliffy D. Yes, indeed. Uh, thanks, thanks to uh, you know the Alouettes for you know give, showing us the love as well, which is definitely appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we actually got to see uh, Vernon Adams after the game, and we got talking, and uh, we asked him like, "Do you know the story behind uh, Herb Trawick? And he's like, "No, could, but what's up?" So we ended up explaining to him about how Herb Trawick helped break the color barrier for the Canadian Football League, and we. So the best way to describe it is sort of like how Jackie Robinson Broke the color barrier for New League Baseball And he knew that, he understood that reference Yeah,
1: but it happened to be the same, funny, same city Was it the same year?
0: Uh, I think so, well they were they're Both of them sort of were in Montreal At the same time together right. for a couple of years yeah. And became good friends as a result And again, both of them ended up Breaking the color barrier for their respective sports Which was phenomenal, and Vernon did not know that And he was, you could see it in his eyes He was, he was blown away by, by this fun fact
1: Right. Exactly. So, I mean, it's uh,
0: yeah,
1: that that type of stuff when you when even you yourself as fans can learn something new and pass it along to players, uh, you know, no matter the background of the players themselves, just to just to let them know uh, a little bit of Al's history and a little, a little bit of CFL history, et cetera. So it's that I will bet that was cool. And, and that and we can talk about that more when we finish talking about the game itself. And because uh, there's a lot to digest, you know, <laughs> yes. It, yes, it was a win. I was. It was great to, to break the home streak. It's nice for the Alouettes to. You know. Yeah, sure. The Alouettes got up there, and will be, probably most likely they will be shown in next year's uh, fact and record book as you know the you know these these bad streaks that they've gone on when it came to losing streak and then home losing streak. You know. You know the Owls finally break Cliff their uh, their franchise streak of uh, losing at home. Uh, that losing streak along with the CFL streak that they were that they were also having at the same time with a win over the Toronto Argonauts 25-22 last second field goal um, and a miss or a rather a ball off the uprights yes ball off the uprights for the win it it, it seemed that you know everything is good at least for one week in Alouette's land um, before we get to the nitty-gritty and the stats and stuff like that, what 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 did you take from this game itself?
0: Well, the biggest thing for me was just the way it ended. Like People always talk about how the CFL is so exciting because there are lead changes and no lead is safe, and you have to watch all the way to the end. And this game was actually very much a great example to use as to why you've got to watch to the last minute because yeah that's exactly what happened uh, montreal got up by three with uh, like a minute 10 to go like 10, basically yeah. Yeah. now a minute 10 in football in cfl football is a lifetime you don't
1: remind us especially how fans <laughs> don't remind us
0: yeah <laughs> But that uh, that last drive and just the way everything came together, like the last three minutes really are what I'm going to remember. You talk about the things that you remember, what makes games memorable for you. Yeah. That last three minutes of that game are what's I'm stuck with and what's going to stick with me for a good long time. Just the way that the fans all came together, the way they rallied, the way they did everything properly. Like they were loud, they were exciting, they they made noise, but they also knew when not to make noise too, which for a change was yeah. absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I, like the Now, what helped, too, was that the Alouettes on their scoreboard did actually have to flash up the notice to be quiet because the offense was on the field, which was great because I think a lot of fans still think they have to make noise all the time. Like, it's not hockey. It's not soccer. You have to know when to make the noise and when to shut your mouth. And this was the time to use little warnings like that, and everybody followed along suit. Like, when uh, Pipkin and the offense were on the field, just before the Redmix play, nice and quiet. Cheer afterwards? Absolutely. When you're on when the Alwys are on defense, that's when you make your noise. That's when you lose your mind. They did that to perfection. Like thanks to TELUS uh, for handing out those mini cowbells th- for fans to use during the game. It worked. The fans were yeah, making so, noise too. at the right time. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And again, once Montreal got up by three, 25-22, minute 10 left on the clock, Toronto had to. At least equal that. They at least had to get a field goal just to tie it and go to overtime, if not win the game. And you've seen what McLeod Bethel Thompson's able to do twice now. He's brought teams back from the dead and ended up getting wins out as a result. And there is no reason to think that he couldn't do it against Montreal because that Montreal defense has been very poor all season long, with, a few, with the exception of a few bright spots. But this particular game, the defense came alive. They did what they had to do. They kept Toronto honest. They bend but they didn't break. Mm-hmm. And to, to basically force Mark Tressman to tell his field goal kicker, go out there and try to get this 54-yard field goal just to tie the game and go into overtime. I mean, that was, that's a pressure cooker right there. And sure enough, the fans responded in kind. They made the noise. They, they rattled Zach Maderos, who actually, fun fact, was in training camp for the Alouettes this season as one of the kickers in camp. Uh, so he's familiar with the uh, the, the field here at uh, personal Molson Stadium, but uh, yeah, I was just wearing double blue. It didn't quite work out for Mr. Madero's because uh lined up for the kick and yep, just curved a little to the left and boom. Into the upright, game over. Everybody loses their mind. Everybody explodes, and the place is loud. Loud like I remembered him yeah, from those, yeah,
1: it was. from and the he, good old days. And they were they were just a, or I think it's probably you know, there were just over, I think, 16,500. I mean, it's, yeah, that's, that's almost 9,000 short of a, of a sellout. No, no, not today. No, it's uh, more than, it's less than that because I, I know that we, it's not 25,000 technically anymore. Um, you know, it, it, it was a, a crowd that goes back, you know, to lowest crowds that go back till, you know, before the expansion. But I'm not, not to not too, not too harp on, on a negative. I'm turning this into a positive where I agree with you. They were loud. It was absolutely amazing, and it makes you wonder whether they should give out these cowbells more often. You know, thanks, Tell Us for the Cowbells. Here, hold on a second. Hold on. And, and yes, I'm doing this live. This has not been cut. Hold on. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Fet I, <to> breathe! <laughs> 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 I hope I didn't blow out anybody's earbuds by doing that one, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think one thing we need to remember, too. Cliff is, I think, really which was the saving grace for this game was that last second uh, uh, play for a loss by Mwamba. oh and that, that was it, a six yards, a six yard loss, I think. Yep, a six yard loss, and it helped. You got to admit, it pushed it back just enough, just enough, where you know where, where we got where he where we where we got that you know where he was able to get the the stop on james wilder jr uh i said that six hearts helped it really did because it backed them up
0: not only did it back them up but again like you heard that thunderous roar when he just drove wilder into the ground yeah, like, and yeah. you knew like you knew like okay now they they got no choice they gotta they gotta make this field goal and again just this is just to get into overtime it's not for a win yeah i know i know like it's not you're not going to deflate the balloon like it's just this is a chance to maybe get a win maybe not but and i tell you like the the way that the crowd responded, you're right, only 16,000. And one of the things that also kind of impressed me too is that was – like normally people are cutting out early because either the game is out of reach or for any number of reasons, the beats of traffic, whatever BS excuse you've got to get the hell out of there early. No, it, th- this time around, like I'd say like there's about 16,000 in the stands. I'd say there was close to about 16,000 that stuck with it to the very end because, again, the Alouettes gave the, the fans – Something to stick around for us. So they gave the fans something to cheer about. And for once, and I'm just curious, I'm just curious to know if the
1: Q4 tickets actually were used. This is one of the first games, home games, since the Alouettes started offering this package, this special package, or these special tickets, that they would have been well worth it. Well worth it. So just out of curiosity, you know, uh, Alouette's head office, uh, shoot me an email. Uh at uh, at repact r e p p a c t at gmail.com. I'm curious to know. I'm I'm really curious to know it, it, how if that's one of the games where they sold the most. Just just, mm-hmm. out, of, just out of curiosity. Just out of curiosity.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, um, let's not forget too that uh, yeah, sixteen thousand fans. Because, again, maybe because there's no Johnny Football, that's probably why the number was back to where it had been before. <laughs> yeah,
1: gee, you know, less than like, yeah, 2,000 less. Uh, I guess, I, as I we joked a couple weeks ago, is Johnny Football only— is, it, is that only that he—all that he's good for is an extra 2,000 people?
0: I guess so. I mean, the numbers don't lie, right? So, <laughs> but, uh, again, that still—that doesn't take anything away from the crowd. Like, I mean, that was a crowd that— and I've said this a million times to other CFL fans, like in different cities, that maybe this is probably the smallest stadium in the Canadian Football League. But you give these fans something to cheer about, and it is loud, and it becomes one of the loudest, and sometimes even the scariest place to play because those fans, when they get cranked up like that, they will make the noise, and the players too. Like we were talking with them as well afterwards, and they they felt it, they felt the energy, and. Yeah. How do you, at that point like they even said like how do you, how do you not want to run through a brick wall for these fans and give them that win that they've been desperate for.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for me and I told you this at halftime um that that was probably one of the most exciting first half. I mean, it may it you know, it wasn't that high of a scoring a high of a scoring game at halftime. But but for me, Cliff, I mean it was uh 15-10 owls. But to me that was one of probably one of the most exciting First halves I have seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. It was just, everything was there. Uh, there was the scoring, there was defense, there were plays. The, the, you know, there really weren't that many groaners. As a as a fan of this team, it was a positive to see. And, once again, Antonio Pipkin stepped up. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I mean, it's, I, it's something about... Uh, you know, the CFL, when it comes to these players, if they have the right—I mean, this is not a shot, by the way. It's not a shot at, at, at Manziel or any other quarterback that's, that starts in this league. But if you have enough time and you know the play—if you know the, the playbook well enough and if you get your, uh, if you get your, your protection, you can play well. And if I remember correctly, I have to go back into the archives of all the pods that we've done. And I remember saying, and I think both of us, had, I think, agreed upon this thing: is that we, we saw Pipkin play in that game in Hamilton, even though we didn't score a point, he looked good. We like, and, and I remember saying, that I loved how he threw the ball and how sharp it was. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to have a chance to see him play like this for, for two straight games, and very possibly from the news that we've heard, in which we'll talk about, it's very possible it will be for a third straight game.
0: Mm-hmm. No, Pipkin definitely earned the opportunity to start this game against the Toronto Argonauts, and he made the most of it. And you you talk about it all the time. like The CFL, it's all about... When you get that opportunity, when your number is called, you have to be ready. And Pifkin was ready. Like You could easily make the excuse that, oh, he's just a wide-eyed rookie. He you know, doesn't know what he's doing, and let's just hope he doesn't completely crap the bed or any nonsense like that. No, no, no. When If you are a professional athlete, you are prepared. You have to be prepared on game day for any situation, including, heaven forbid, you have to get the call to start. And Pipkin was ready to go. He was yeah. ready to go in Edmonton. Yeah. Look, looked very good there, too. Not great, but good. Like He definitely looked like he belonged there. And I, I said it as well, that he definitely deserved the opportunity to start, even if Manziel did have a clean bill of health, which he ultimately did not have. So by de facto, Pipkin goes in and he starts against Toronto and played exceptionally well. He made everybody sit up and take notice of who the heck is Antonio Pipkin. Like, he came out of nowhere. Like, everybody's expecting Johnny Football and the disastrous Alouettes to, you know, completely make a further mockery of themselves. But no, here comes Antonio Pipkin, uh, a young 23-year-old out of nowhere, out of a small Division II school that nobody's ever heard of in Montreal. I promise you that. And he comes in and he plays an exceptional game. Not perfect again, because unfortunately he did have a pick six, but I mean over three hundred yards passing. Not his fault uh, though.
1: T- Not his fault. Uh, again I uh, wish there I wish there was a stat Cliff that would recognize the pick six in a way a pick six. So it doesn't go against you know, it, it allows the the receiver to keep his yards and, and, and the pick six, but it doesn't go against a, a quarterback because it what that wasn't his fault.
0: It really wasn't. Uh, for for those of you who didn't see it, unfortunately, the uh, the pass from Pipkin bounced off Ernst Jackson's fingers and right into the hands of uh, uh, Alton Darby for the Argos, and he took it back to the house. So these things happen. I mean, you can get mad at Pipkin. You can get mad at Jackson. It was just one of those things where just it, things happen. What are you, you going to do? Mm-hmm. It, it sucks. And, yeah, it does end up being a bit of a blemish on Pipkin's record for an otherwise fine evening, but... That's football for you. Yeah, and it, 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 let's not let's let's not take anything away though, the fact that overall Pipkin played a tremendous game at home, knowing full well that there was a lot of pressure because Montreal has to win games. They're all that's all there is to it. I mean, like this season, like they're it, it's getting away from them fa- fast if it hasn't gotten away from them completely. Like I I said at the start of the year, like this team should be going seven and eleven. I think that would be successful, believe it or not. But I mean the way he came in and played the way he did was absolutely tremendous and he more than earned the right to be playing this Friday in Ottawa as a starting quarterback so I uh, from all indications it looks like he probably will end up getting the start and even if Manziel is able to dress if not play I still would give the nod to Pipkin and I think the coaching staff is pretty much in agreement that yeah Pipkin went out there he got the W and let's see what he can do going forward.
1: Well, it's something about, you know, talk about, you know, where where uh, where Pipkin went to school. I mean, what look at look at the stars, look at the star quarterbacks that we have in this league and where they're from. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's, you know, some of these lesser known schools that nobody seems to know about. But for some reason, they they excel and they become stars.
0: No, it's true. And for all the hype of, oh, Johnny Manziel, former former Heisman Trophy winner. Like, okay, that's great. It is. how How
1: many have the Alwitz had on their team?
0: How many have been in the league? Period, yeah, I know. and I again I can count on one hand the number that have actually been truly successful. Uh, it just I mean, uh, winning a Heisman Trophy is a, a terrific accomplishment, we'll never take it that away from anybody, but it's not a guaranteed recipe for success. Believe me, there's been more failures that were Heisman Trophy winners in the CFL than success stories, and at the end of the day. You've got to have more than just a trophy to your name to be considered an instant success. Yes, it'll get you in the door and get get people talking about you, yeah. but you still have to produce. And best example, Bo Levi Mitchell. Went to Eastern Washington University, very small school, just like uh, Tiffin was for Antonio Pipkin. Yep. East, but Look, East,
1: uh, well, to be fair, Eastern Washington, I think, is I, I knew of Eastern Washington. I, as you said before, I had never heard of Tiffin.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes, Eastern Washington has produced quite a few quarterbacks, including our own Vernon Adams. That's right. Uh, but, okay, so that, maybe that's the best example. But the point is, it's not what you consider to be a big school. Like, you're no, not going to a whole lot of Heisman winners sure. come If you from there.
1: remember for, for Vernon Adams, you would think more or less for Oregon than really for Eastern Washington.
0: No, this is true, too. But again, my, my point is that these smaller schools still are producing quality football players <laughs> and yeah. don't like. I'm just saying that for fans, not to get so dazzled by the whole Heisman hype because, yeah, it's an impressive feat. But at the same time, it's not – it doesn't mean anything once you actually take the field. At the end of the day, you still have to perform. You still have to know your playbook, make your reads, and do the things that you have to do to become a successful quarterback. And guys like Bo Levi Mitchell, guys like Mike Riley come from small schools – they get it, they put it in the work, and they've become successes. And Antonio Pipkin, as far as I'm concerned, is on that same track right now. And he's only going to get better with time. Yep. So, so
1: Pipkin was uh, 22 of 32 for 303 passing yards, and no touchdowns passing one pick, um, but he did have uh, two rushing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. um, um also uh receiving wise uh, leading receiver was uh, BJ Cunningham 8 targets 5 receptions 85 yards uh Eugene Lewis 6 receptions 79 yards Ernest Jackson what 70 yards for Ernest Jackson 8 targets so 8 targets 4 catches 75 yards uh Adarius Bowman got into the act uh standback got into the act Johnson there, see that that's a name that was like who I had, I had totally forgotten he was uh, he was on the team when he had that 17 yard catch. Patrick Lavoie actually got a catch. Um, so, and then rushing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sutton was out this week. Uh, seems to be okay, uh, on the right track to come back from what we are understanding. But Standback did well. I mean, 11 rushes. See, this is what I told you after the game. You get a. a cor- uh, this is when you want to try to mix things up, you have to give your running back the attempts and they did now you know his average was about uh quick math was it was about was about 5.3 give or take mm-hmm. um but he was having some issues with uh a slightly sore hammy i think it was sore mm-hmm. hamstring. so he was coming in and out in the, in the second half he may have gotten more attempts if that was the case but um pipkin also was able to get into it too i mean 29 yards six rushes a uh, Ryder stone got in there too BJ tried one play, something that the Owls have tried. It was was a it was an an end around. It was I think an end around. Didn't go anywhere. It usually does well uh, for for the Owls, but it just for that one, it just seemed doomed from the beginning on that one particular play. But um, for Bethel Thompson, twenty six of thirty seven, two hundred ninety six yards and a touchdown. And remember, the the Argos only scored one offensive touchdown. That other touchdown Mm -hmm. was because of the pick six. And they yeah. really kept – of all time – and this is the guy who has who known to really hammer the Alouettes. Wilder only got 29 yards on nine rushes.
0: No, this uh, – the run defense actually came to play. And I, like I said, I've been very critical of this defense pretty much for the past few games. I've really felt, with the exception of Hinak Mwamba and Chris Aki, nobody has really stepped up and made things happen. But now you're starting to see that now – they're still missing a few tackles here and there. Don't get me wrong. There's right. still a They'll, few yeah. areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, this, with Edwards, Edwards had 114 yards. I mean, that I think that says it all right there, too. So,
0: yeah, I, like I said, there's still a lot of work to be done for this defense, but it was a lot more encouraging than what it has been in previous weeks. So, I will say that it's uh, it was definitely good to see. Uh, there was a lot of bend but don't break. They're, they pretty much had to force uh, Medeiros to kick a couple field goals just to keep keep things competitive. So. And yeah, pretty much one offensive touchdown for the Argos. I mean, that says it all. Like, that's a defense that I think realized that they've been coasting would be a polite way to put it, not really playing up to their potential, but this particular game, they stepped up. And again, that those final three minutes was really where you got to see what this defense was made of. Yeah. And yeah, there was a lot of bend, but they there did was not. A lot break. of
1: bend, especially on that last, <laughs> on that last drive.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, that yeah. pass uh, to Armani Edwards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just yeah. from get some from out of the goalpost shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just about midfield, uh, right there. Like that's where you start to waver a little bit, but then at that point you you realize you just gotta keep going. You gotta get louder. You gotta get louder. And that's what the fans did. And I love I love seeing that. Yeah. I love seeing the way that the, the people just came together and they realized, okay, you have to make noise, you have to do what it can to rally this team. Mm-hmm. And they did it and Again, my hats off to this crowd. I mean, they did a fantastic job of just. I, I really think they they really rattled the Argos for that last drive, and it really it it made it made the win that much sweeter, as far as I was concerned.
1: Yeah, Alouettes. Uh, I mean, they weren't perfect at a lot of stuff. I mean, they went twelve of twenty-two on second down, which is, I think, is is very decent. I mean, that's that's over it's over fifty percent. Um, you know, they were finally able to—Toronto only had 55—actually, Owls and Toronto had 55 offensive plays. Considering what they, uh, the Owls had given up over the past two weeks when it come to offensive plays, if you're, when you're able to reduce 30 plays over a two-week span, that, that you're, going to, you're, you're going to be better. And, and that's exactly what they were. And I think one of the biggest, the biggest other stats, too, that I'll get to is, yes, they were able to control the, the penalties— but the main thing here, Cliff, and this is, the, this, is the, this is the big one here, is that the Owls' time of possession, They was almost dead even. The difference in time of possession between the Argos and the Alouettes, the Owls had the ball for 10 more seconds. Just 10. <laughs> Considering that the Alouettes have been giving up anywhere between 34 and 38, uh, 38 the ball for, 30, for 4 to 38 minutes in the last two games, that's a huge improvement.
0: Absolutely, it's uh, one of the things I've been saying too. Is this defense has been on the field way too much this season, but I think they've I've done. I think they've done a pretty good job of just evening things out a little bit. I think that like the offense was given a chance to really shine. Those ch- given a chance to move downfield slowly but surely, which is again, this is all you want from your offense is to just click and just move the ball down. You don't have to make every every play. Doesn't have to be spectacular. You just have to keep moving the chains, and that's exactly what Pipkin and the Yellowjackets were doing. Was just moving the chains, ten yards at a time. It, it doesn't take much; just little things, just chip away at that field. And I would have liked to see a few more touchdowns. I think there was a couple, a couple more plays that uh, could have gone our way that would have made a, a huge difference. But you know, it is what it is. And Boris Bidet, I, I still think uh, his kicking is leaving a lot to be desired. Yeah, but yeah. give him, give him credit where it's due. Four field goals. That's uh, that's still, again, that's. That's 12 points right there, like 12 it, out of the true, out of but 25. It,
1: but it goes back to the few things in, in years past with the Allowitz and the, and the O uh, is that, you know, they had I think they had uh, they had a turnover and they were able to uh, deep into Toronto uh, into their uh, end. And they came away only with three. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's frustrating when you're some of these things are that close. And, you know, if you threw in a little bit more of these things exactly there were questionable plays and we're and we're talking about a few, but I mean overall, I mean you know we're talking about grades last week you know overall i mean this team effort this week wasn't a they looked like an a team um yeah. you know the defense itself I'd probably give a c the the b uh, the offense I'd probably give a b mm-hmm. uh, they just did really well overall, but there were still and you, you just brought it up cliff there were some things that are really that we still have to question um and it, it's just a matter of how can be they be fixed. Now, what in particular, if you're looking at the game itself, even though you know we got the W, and they always say that there's always room for improvement. What what stood out to you the most besides Bede that really needs to be uh, worked on, and hopefully it will be worked on for the game for the versus the Red Blacks this week?
0: I still think Coach Sherman has an NFL mindset when it comes to gambling on third down. Oh yes, here it comes. <laughs> like I. There's a big difference between playing conservative and playing scared, and I think there's a couple times on third and one where he was playing scared and just elected to punt. Whereas, you've got uh, you you've got the talent there. You right. can get that first down.
1: Yeah, it was a third and third. It was thirty one. Third and one deep in our end. Yes. Now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a and I don't know how how do you like how I put this? Because uh, I'm gonna go on to what you were just saying and let me know what, you, what your thought is. And I'll let you continue. There is being cfl conservative and there's being nfl conservative and i think sherman is being nfl conservative is that a fair assessment
0: that's a very fair assessment that's exactly my point is that he's he's still of that nfl mindset and even like you talk about the the last three minutes of uh, of the half is the way he's thinking is kick the ball away and try to bleed the clock, and like it doesn't work that way. Yeah, like that, especially with the way it,
1: the rules work after three, after three, uh, after, th- after three minutes.
0: And again, it also shows no faith in your offense if you're electing to punt. Like you, you, you're, you've got the same view as I do, coach. And you see with the team that's in front of you, are you telling me that this team couldn't get that first down as needed? I, that to me, like you're sending a big signal that you know maybe you don't have quite that much faith in not just Pipkin but your entire offense as a whole. And in many instances this season, I can see why you wouldn't have that faith, but I think in this particular game, I, I think you had something special there and I think that there's a lot of missed opportunities that could either have put this game away or at least force Toronto to make some mistakes possibly because they would have had to overcompensate for and that. And they did and they made one.
1: They made one which 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 was actually was a huge help to the out. but I think it came away with nothing. I think maybe with three is they were flagged for an illegal punt out of bounds. Mm-hmm. I think I think we only came with three on that one, if I remember correctly. But, um, yeah. yeah, as I said, they, they were able to fix a few things. Uh, running, they did well, even though we had some issues with, with, uh, uh, with, with Stanbeck and his, and his hamstring. Um, and I agree with you, Cliff. I mean, there have just been some calls, and you're like, well, and it wasn't, it's not just us that's complaining about these. There are guys who are behind us who are like, why, are you, why did you not go for on third and one? It's third and one. It's like you do know. The players have to be a, a, a you know a, a yard off, and it just seemed you know Pipkin seemed to seemed to be able to do the third third downs properly, um, you know, I, I think anybody that we had would, would have been able to, to do it. It's just like, dude, really?
0: And the call like where where Bede kicked the what turned out to be the game winning field goal. Let's not forget they ran the ball twice.
1: Oh, don't remind me on this one. God, that was the uh, other one that was almost that was get, that was cringeworthy.
0: And again, this is another thing that I I found very questionable about Sherman's play calling was why would you go like two instances like that? Like now, again, we've seen the Super Bowl enough times. Yeah, sometimes you want to run the ball. But (laughs) I think in this particular instance, you could have tried a pass, especially too. like Pipkin was pretty accurate with his. Is throws and again the fact that he was able to get out of the pocket mm-hmm. and he could he moved the pocket with him and mm-hmm. was able to make things happen, creating space for a lot of his receivers. Like and again with such a, a short field to work with at that point, it would have been well worth the risk. I mean yes you don't you don't want to throw into triple coverage or anything like that. I which get that. Which he didn't that, do. But. Which he didn't do.
1: That's the thing. And he wasn't doing that. And I agree with you. I think one of the things that was against us there was about a the Toronto still had a timeout and b we really didn't do anything on first down. You know, the clock, without us being under three minutes, the clock does not run normally. Uh-huh. You know, once you're set, then the clock will start. Uh, the play clock will start. They'll signal in the play clock, and then it will start. The clock will start. So, yeah, I don't get that. I think a lot of us were wondering, it's like, why so, again, why so conservative? Were you just trying to set it up so that the, you could kick from, the, from a particular hash mark? Or were you just trying to make sure you centered the ball? Um, you know, there are a couple other other times, too, that uh, that where the Alouettes punted when they were on their on Toronto's side of the field. Why are they not putting Bette out there to try and kick those field goals? That's another thing, too, and it goes to what we've been talking about for most of the season. I mean, right. is it time for the Alouettes to do like they did a few years ago and bring in another kicker to give him some competition? Saying, you know what, boys, let somebody else do the kicking. You know, if if, we, if they have the room to do so, bring in somebody else to do at least the field goal kicking. Yeah, concentrate and I, on, concentrate on punting because you know his his punting he he did well on punts he did well in punting yeah. this week.
0: Yeah. yeah, and typically he does. I mean, he's had a few stinkers here and there, which every kicker will say that they they have. But I, I think now we're we're kind of past the point now of this this idea that the kicker has to do both duties. I mean, the other All teams right. are employing both a kicker and a punter. I think. There was a time and I understood why Jim Pop did it back in the back in the day and it made complete sense, especially when he had a national kicker to to handle both duties because that freed up another roster spot to bring in another import. uh-huh I get that. But now you have an import kicker. Yep. so you you've basically lost that so-called advantage that that was there. So we, but by the really, way and,
1: and, and the auto Red Blacks will notice too. we've seen a lot of national kickers come in if we can find a national kicker that can do just as well, I mean, you know, he did average. He, he averaged 46 yards a, uh, a punt. Mm-hmm. He did very well on kickoffs. I mean, he averaged 82 yards, a, uh, 82 and a half yards on a kickoff. He had two of them go into the end zone, especially one right that set up Toronto's last drive. It went directly in a, through, in, into the end zone. Yep. So, I mean, it, I, I think it's fair to say, Cliff, that both of us would put up our hands in the air and say that I think that he needs some competition
0: some competition, or at the very least some assistance, if you will, I think would be a better way to put it. Like, Why why try to wreck him with focusing on both duties, especially if he's struggling in, in one particular area, i.e. field goals? Bring in a field goal specialist and let Bede focus solely on punting because, yeah, he's, he still has that leg. He can still boot the ball yeah, yeah. pretty far. Yeah. So let him focus on that. Let him be a great punter. And then you bring in another kicker, one with real accuracy, one who can make those money shots when you need to. To me, I, it just makes more sense. I mean, especially, too, like, again, if Bede was national, which everybody seems to think he is, but I'm sorry to say he is not. He is not a national player. If yeah. he was a national player, that'd be one thing, but he's not. Yes, so. he, went
1: to, yes he went to the U I, I get that. But it's
0: true. You're right. Well, as I said, it doesn't matter where you go to university. All that matters is where you were born. And France is still considered international. So, like I said, the... It, yeah, uh, I think the time has come that really they should be focusing bit more on punting and bring in, say, a Swayze Waters even to handle field goal kicking. As yeah, far as I'm concerned, I I wouldn't be mad at that. There are there are a few other kickers
1: too that are, that have, have kicked really well. And, and yes, this yes, yes, I know. I, the, the, I was telling you about this too. That, you know, it goes to my to my history too uh, of of the arena football. But you know, there there are. You know, there there are some kickers there that could do it if if they were willing to come up here and and try. A uh, Mark Lewis, as an example, I mean he's the all time leading leading points, uh, all time leading all time points leader in the Arena Football League. So I mean they're and and they're kicking they're kicking their things through through nine foot wide uprights. So well, there you go. So, I, it's something. I mean it's it's you know again it's it's. We'll see what happens. So far, nothing's come over the wire. So I, I I'm suspecting that we're not going to see anything, anything, anytime soon, unless, unless something really happens. You know, if if he gets hurt or or whatever. And we're, obviously, we're not wishing that upon him, but it's, I, I don't, I don't know if Cavis, I don't know if Cavis is concentrating on that. Mm. I mean, you, you got to think about everything in itself, and it also goes to think that are are the owls having a couple? Are the owls having issues with the salary cap? I mean, yes, we've had so many players on the on the on the sixth game this year. I know that doesn't go against the cap, so it's I, I don't know, I don't know. What what else What else could could we improve? We'll, we'll move on to a couple more things that uh, that we want to talk about this week, uh, obviously before we finish up the show. But anything else you want to point out?
0: Not really. I mean, like we've covered quite a bit, and oh, yeah, yeah. I, I do think that overall, the Alouettes played a much better game. They. Definitely seemed a lot more focused, a lot more into it. And, again, I don't know if that just speaks to the leadership of Pipkin, that uh, he was able, just at a young age, to be able to command that respect, that uh, that uh, admiration from from his teammates, that they were willing to play for him. They were willing to go to war with him. I think that made a huge difference. I'm not saying they weren't willing to go to war with Johnny Manziel or Vernon Adams or anybody else who was under center for the Alouettes this year. But Pipkin just had that calming effect, which is, again, I, I I can't say this enough, folks. The kid is 23 years old. I mean, that's that's some kind of maturity right there. I mean, that, like I said, Drew Willie is a lot older than 23, and he has looked very scared, terrified even, being under center for the Alouettes. And I didn't see that at all in Pipkin. And you you could make every excuse in the world that, well, he's just a kid. What, what do you expect from him and all that? Like, no, he came in and he was very much in control He the, the moment wasn't too big for him I, I love using that expression because it's so true, Like sometimes a moment will swallow you up, and I think it has swallowed up a lot of people in the past, but Pipkin I didn't see that at all Like I just saw calm, I saw someone who had, he, he played like he'd been there before, and for someone who is still very much a rookie when it comes to the professional ranks uh, I, I, I can't overstate just how amazing that is and other people took notice of that too. Like social media was just buzzing, buzzing about Antonio Pippen. Like people, if you didn't know who he was, you were learning pretty fast about what this kid brings to the table. And yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It was amazing to see too. Like throughout Twitter, just how everybody became excited. Like just watching this game. Like people wanted the Alouettes to win. Like the same people that were crapping all over the Alouettes for their various personnel decisions, uh, you know, play calling, uh, you know, any number of reasons why you want to bag on this team, and sometimes they deserve it, sometimes they don't. But all of a sudden, it seemed like everybody was just rallying around the Alouettes. like they they wanted the Alouettes to win this game, which was incredible. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that you had this quarterback who really came out of nowhere all of a sudden is coming in and leading this team, like picked up this team by the scruff of the neck and is bringing them along. And to me, like that's what made this even more amazing was the fact that people were... Legitimately excited for the Alouettes, really, truly rooting for them. Like even if you you had no allegiance to the Alouettes, or you know even if you didn't like the Alouettes, you still there's still seemed to be a little part of you was like, come on, you gotta win this game, you gotta win this game. And I think there was genuine joy and happiness amongst the CFL community, knowing that hey, maybe Montreal isn't quite as bad as what people were thought. Maybe there is a little bit of hope for this team. Maybe there is something here that they could build upon, mm-hmm. and. To me, that was awesome. It was really great to see that, and like we felt it in the stands—the the energy, the excitement, the the happiness—and again, as soon as you go on online and go on social media, and you see that same sentiment being sung throughout the entire league. I mean, that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, like, of of all the things that I remember for this game, and and like on the field, but like there's a lot of stuff you remember off the field, and just that that absolute joy. And encouragement from everybody else. I mean, that that's really what helps makes this game just that much more memorable. And like you said, of all the games that we've we've seen at Personal Wilson Stadium, like those highlight games that you were talking about earlier to start the show, mm-hmm. will this game be one of those games? It's still too soon to tell. But I, I I agree with you. I think a lot of people are going to remember where they were when they saw Antonio Pipkin win his first game as a Montreal Alouette.
1: And by the way, one thing we can't, and before we move on, there's one thing, another thing we really had to that talk about. And if you've been following Alouettes for as, as long as we have, there's something else that really did stand out. John Bowman. Holy crap. What a beast. The dude goes in there basically with one arm. and I'm, I'm, Let me go back to the final stats. But I, we know he had more than one pressure. I mean, it's, just, it's crazy. Bowman, 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 Bowman um five tackles one sack this dude was playing on fire yep i mean to to have a partially torn muscle in your arm out two weeks and to come back baller man oh
0: yeah and let's not forget and he's not gonna like me say this he's not a young man anymore he's uh, unfortunately uh ah, but he looks pretty sweet in that levy jacket <laughs> uh, he does i I'll, I'll get a major props for that the, the guy is a fashion plate but he is. Uh, yep. <laughs> but I tell you like he he looked like the John Bowman of 10 years ago oh, yeah. and I'm sure he if you were to ask him he probably felt like the John Bowman of 10 years ago i father time remains undefeated there's no question about that and he has stated this will be his last season in the Canadian Football League, but I tell you, like, you're absolutely right. He came back, like, you would have never imagined that he had pretty much ripped his bicep of all, of all things. Like, oh, sometimes that'll, that'll end your season, but no, two weeks later and he's back at it. Like, and like not bad for an old man, quote unquote. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but see, I tell you.
0: But see, the dude's younger than me, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, but you said it though. He is a warrior in the the very se- the very sense of the word. John Bowman was a warrior, and oh, oh, yeah. he he played his heart out as I expect him to do day in and day out. And yeah, I, I mean, big props to John because he he showed up and he showed out, as they say.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Don't forget we are on social media here at the flight deck. A couple of ways that you can follow us. Uh, you can head over to our Twitter account, which is at uh, Deck. You can head over to our Facebook page, which I think really needs to be updated more than we actually do keep it up to date, but it is over at Allowitz Flight Deck over on Facebook. And if you want to listen to all of the history when it comes to all of our the archive of all of our our past episodes here at the Flight Deck, there are multiple ways you can do it. You can do it over the easiest way at There's also Google Play. There's also iTunes. There's also Podbean. There's also Stitcher, and there is also I'm doing it again. <coughs> is, it, is, it, is it the same one I keep
0: forgetting every week? Every week, like clockwork, you forget this. <laughs> Spotify. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I uh. was like, it's I like, know they all begin with an S, but I can't remember. Help me. <laughs> Speaking of age, um, yeah. Uh, if you wanna, if you want to. Uh, contact us you can you can do so uh we're at uh, uh alouettes podcast at gmail.com as oh, our flight deck what is it i haven't used that much that's the bad thing about it um and then or you can see cliffy or i on on twitter cliff is at cliffy d and i am at repack r-e-p-p-a-c-t uh okay heading into this week um Couple things to talk about, but b- before we do, experiences on the field after the game, because I know we talked about it a little bit before the beginning of the game. Um, what what what's any any takeaways from it from from our our, our post game walk
0: of the field? Oh, Just uh, like I said, just being able to talk to the players afterwards and just really get a sense of, I think relief more than anything else i really think this this team takes themselves seriously i mean i you people online want to joke about how whether or not this is a professional team this is a professional team but they're human as well and they want to win they want to perform they're not just there to collect a paycheck like they want to win as badly as the fans want to win and what i took away more than anything else just in talking with them it says there was relief there was that that monkey is off their back now like now they can focus again they can Stop worrying so much about trying to get the win because now they've gotten it, right. and now they can just focus on the next one. Now they can just, now they've got a quarterback that they know they can trust, know that they can play with, and want to play for. It's just now a matter of being able to go out and keep executing. And I think that's been a big problem for Montreal this season is just they have not been able to execute on any consistent basis. And I think the players would tell you the same thing is that they they've got to be better, and they know they have to be better. Yeah. And I think uh, just in speaking with them there was that sense of relief and then of course the joy of winning because let's face it winning is awesome so they want to keep that going but what i took away more than anything else i think it's just asking like what would you think of that crowd because i, I know there's a there's a couple of veterans that have been there before that have they they know what the this place can get like but i'm talking about like the people that have re- are relatively new to the alouettes yeah and i think a lot of them were sort of taken aback at just how loud this place can yeah, get yeah even
1: at 16,000 Uh, One of the things that I took away from after we mentioned before we were speaking with Vernon Adams, he's humble, very humble, very humble, and he and and he seems to be happy to be here. Obviously, the one of the things that we were surprised to, as 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 he was as he mentioned it, is that he was surprised that he was placed on the sixth game. Um, It makes me wonder if this just happens again. Remember, I mentioned it before. We're talking about. You know, we're talking about uh, cap issues. Makes me it makes me wonder. But still, I'd like to see. I would hope to see Vernon on the active roster before the before the season ends. I mean, we've got more than more than half the season to go. So, um, before we talk about the game versus the Red Blacks, there were some uh, uh, there were some interesting changes and additions to the roster, weren't there?
0: Absolutely. Uh, one of the big complaints about the Alouettes, uh, especially since they've traded Jamal Westerman is that there is no more pass, pass rush, especially with Bowman being injured as well. Like And again, relying on your, I'll say it's gently, veteran defensive end to be the pass rush, and you've got a bunch of younger players that aren't quite stepping up like they should be. Yeah, there hasn't really been much of a pass rush to speak of, but I think that just may be changing because this week the Montreal Alouettes added a familiar face to uh, Alouettes Nation. Gabriel Napton is now, once again, a Montreal Alouette. But wait, you say, you may ask. Was he not traded to the BC Lions for Chris Williams? Oh
1: God, the, the, dude, this thing is so uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, <laughs> it's Big time. Cr- Here, let me read it to you because you and I talked about this before the show, and it, it, it's. It, it, I don't know. It's not laughable. I don't know if it's sad. I don't know how how it is. But anyway, th- this came from specifically. I'm, I'm reading this directly as as a quote from the story from uh, uh, from. Uh, Gazette uh, uh, beat writer, uh, Herb Zyrkowski, but this is how it's written. Uh, let's see if we have this straight. Montreal traded Ga- Gabriel Nathan for Chris Williams last December. The Alawitz then traded Williams to Hamilton for Johnny Manziel last month. Napton was released by British Columbia last week, and now he's back with Montreal. And yep. and he goes another, quote-unquote, only in the Canadian Football League moment.
0: It's just so weird, dude. <laughs> it It just really, really is. So basically, we got to rent Chris Williams for a couple of months, and it didn't really cost us anything.
1: By the way, and, and by the way, and I feel bad. Cause we hear, it and we didn't mention it last week, but uh, uh, actually, we didn't mention it yet. But we know he's had his issues with, with with injuries, and I just feel bad for Chris Williams because it looks like he's out again for the year uh, with Hamilton with a, with an Achilles injury. Yeah. I,
0: Poor I feel, guy.
1: I feel bad for the dude. I feel bad for the dude. Anyways, continue.
0: Yeah, I, I'll, I'll I'll expand upon that too. He, I we didn't see very much of chris but when he was actually one of the few bright spots on the offense like in the the early going of the season this year and yeah yeah, it's just a really nice guy too uh i would have liked to see him stick around in montreal but i was hopeful that he was going to be able to keep keep things going in hamilton especially this would be his second time playing for the tiger cats but yeah the Achilles' man that's that's brutal yeah so my heart goes out to him uh I think I echo the sentiments of just about everybody saying that uh, hope he does recover and he does get back on the field sooner rather than later. But uh, yeah, man, football football's is tough like that. <laughs> it can be, it can be.
1: Um, but yeah, I'm sure Nathan will be a help. It will be interesting to see uh, how he's able to uh, how he's able to help you know help our line. Hopefully, we can. He'll you know, he'll be able to do more than what he was able to do what he was doing in BC.
0: There yeah, he's know. he was actually pretty quiet out there, so which I, I ultimately led to his release. But maybe it was just one of those cases where, it, kind of like a Darius Bowman in Winnipeg, uh-huh. maybe it just wasn't a good fit. I, I'm wondering if that's the reason why, for whatever reason. Because, again, we, we see what D'Abril Napton did here in Montreal, and he was just outstanding, and a, a, absolutely outstanding player. So for it not to work in BC, like, you have to wonder, maybe it really was just the system out there just didn't quite work in his favor, like he couldn't quite work within the system there. So maybe, and hopefully, comes back here to a familiar place where he knows that, he pretty much knows what to expect here in Montreal. And maybe we will get that uh, Gabriel Napton of uh, a couple of years ago where he was just an absolute force. And and if, if we can, if we can get that pass rush back again and he can provide that for us, man, I'm telling you, that's that's going to be a, a real shot in the arm. Because yeah. this, this defensive line is... There's a lot of good play pieces on there, but they're just not clicking the way they really should be. I'm hoping that Napton, if he can step in and help provide that, again, still he still has John Bowman bookending him, so if only for another couple more games, really. But, I mean, if, if Napton can step in and be that leader again and help bring guys along, a guy again, guys like Jesse Joseph and even Bo Banner, who was drafted essentially to be John Bowman's replacement, I believe, if he can help mentor those guys and bring them along, uh, Gabriel Napton then man the the fact we we basically picked him up for nothing outstanding
1: yeah no i i know well, uh, we had a couple more uh uh, trans, uh things that happened on the transaction wire what what else were they
0: well uh funny we talk about uh, Chris Williams who was part of the Johnny Manziel trade another part of that trade uh, was uh, Landon Rice coming over to Montreal alongside of Tony Washington uh Landon Rice ended up being released uh And uh, now back with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, so it's no figure. You you talk about that six degrees separation thing, and now I know. And players going back to their old teams. uh, And this one, by
1: the way, for transparency's sake, a lot of people said that this was a cap thing because it was it was due. I think it was a guaranteed amount after a certain. I think it was after we after halfway through the season or something like that.
0: Yeah, and being a national player. He's obviously good, and a member of the defensive line. Then of course he's going to command a, a fairly high salary. So yeah, yeah. sometimes you just have to uh, you have to know when to ho- know when to hold him and one- know when to fold him. In this case, uh, Landon Rice ended up being uh, the odd man out. Is of course naturally Cavis Reed and the Alouettes are going to get dragged for it because it was part of the Johnny Manziel trade. So essentially, it felt like you're giving back another piece of that trade to the team that you know you traded with to get Manziel. I know. So, yeah, optics-wise, that doesn't look good, but then you're all sort of offsetting the, with the move to bring Napton back because, back, again, yeah. Chris Williams was a part of that trade as well. Like you like you said, traded from BC to Montreal and then from Montreal to Hamilton. So, yeah, yeah, the, the Tiger Cats get Chris Williams, but now you have a uh, injured Chris Williams, so it's, he almost becomes a non-factor right I there. I know. I, I, like I, It's still weird how all of this is working out, like, just the optics of it just looks really bizarre. But again, that's just part of the fun of the Canadian Football League. There's no no other way to say it. But I'm choosing to focus on the fact that, while it's unfortunate that Landon Rice isn't a part of the uh, Alouettes anymore, we've got Gabriel Napton. I think we're okay as far as national offensive linemen go. Uh, we've got uh, Philippe Gagnon that's back now. And again, if once he gets himself settled again, I think he'll definitely more than step up. Uh, I'm hoping that Tyler Johnstone... I'm hoping his injury ends up. Uh, he's a, he, he's back on in the on the roster pretty soon as well. Uh, there's a couple other youngsters that uh, really truly have to step up and make plays happen. So I, I'm wondering if that too sort of helps, especially too with Ryan Bombin being traded to Toronto as well. I know, I know. The, the hope hope was a couple of the younger players were going to step up and assume that leadership role as well. So
1: and we also said they were talking about Tony Washington. He according to Herb Zajkowski, yeah, he left practice today. I don't know what the issue was, though.
0: And that, that has potential to be bad news because, again, that left tackle spot, the blind side, being able to protect quarterback is going to be crucial, especially against Ottawa and Noel Thorpe defense. So I'm, I'm hoping it's just, uh, just a sore back and nothing too severe because, yeah, Tony Washington has definitely been a good addition to the Alouettes. He's definitely helped fill that role that's been sorely lacking all season for the Alouettes. So um, here's hoping that it's just a, a minor thing and nothing too major. That He can still yeah. be in the lineup this Friday.
1: Yeah, and what were the other two, what were the other roster moves that we saw today?
0: Uh, well, the Alouettes uh, have added on defensive back Greg Reed, who I think you're a little bit familiar with uh, right. as he is a uh, arena arena wonder from <laughs> from back in the day.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, uh, yeah, uh, he was... Uh, played uh, a few games with the Washington the Arena Bowl champion uh, Washington Valor uh, this past season, um, but uh, Greg Reed is more known for being the 2015 Rookie of the Year when he was with Jacksonville Sharks, uh, and also in 15 and 16, he was also a first-team All Arena defensive back. Um, the dude, the dude had had you know he's he he's played well, and he's played with he played with Tampa Bay Storm. Um, played with Washington and played with Jacksonville. Um, he, uh, Greg is a he's a good player. What he did, especially the first two years when he was in in the Arena League, I mean, not he had sixteen interceptions, Cliff, in the first two seasons. Sixteen picks. That's 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 nutballs. F- that, yeah, that's put it <laughs> <laughs> <That's pretty> mildly. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely crazy. I mean, um, but I, I think I, we'll see what. I mean, he's placed on the practice roster. We'll see what, um, see how he can fit into the scheme of things for the Alouettes. I don't know if he'll actually get activated or whatnot, but um, it just seems that sometimes, uh, when you look hard enough, there are some of those. And we're talking about you know, same thing with Pipkin as an example. Uh, so find some of these diamonds in the rough from the Arena League. Sometimes that they they can do well. Um, you know, shout shout out to Brian Bukowski. I mean, there is another uh, great example of a guy who who who. Played well in the arena league and in the cfl um yeah so it's, again it's the alouettes oh it's some, something about the alouettes so many different arena league has been played in the alouettes and i think there's one more one more move too right i think uh uh the quarterback my sharona no 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 that wasn't his name <laughs>
0: <laughs> no not quite no. no, no. Uh, i guess with uh with johnny manziel possibly dressing at, at the very least um uh, once again, the quarterback clown car gets a little less crowded as one Austin Apodaca has been.
1: Apodaca.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, Apodaca has been released. As again, we can only carry so many quarterbacks at one time. No kidding. We have so many on our roster right now. Well, not just uh, I think it's just may roster, on the active roster as we do on the uh, six game injured list. So yeah, that's
1: what I yeah, said <laughs> I meant. Um, so By the way, speaking of heading into talking about this week's game, uh, one thing we you know we did mention that um, we had a, a, a we had some issues you know with with running backs and we may have another one this week because it looks like that not only is Suddy going to be out for at least another week. But it also looks like that, uh, you know, uh, William Stanbeck's going to be out too, because he's going to be, he's going to be nursing his, uh, uh, I guess his hammy. Um, They are actually stating, and I think it was in the paper today, uh, reported by Herb Zerkowski, it's very possible that um, we actually may see the return of Stefan Logan. He may be activated from the sixth game. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Um, in fact, I believe he was, uh, a participant in a practice and uh i guess to see if he's uh if his ankle is uh, healed enough that he'd be able to actually take some reps uh whether it be as uh as returner or actually get in and actually play as running back as well uh let's not forget we do have rider still yeah, Ryder stone too yeah yeah
1: and i think yeah, Ryder yeah. stone has a little bit more weight that i mean i understand stefan's a tiny guy and he, he can move but maybe we do need a, a a running back that has a little bit more poundage on him
0: Yeah. And I've said before, like, even when he was drafted, I said he was cut, he's cut basically from the same cloth as Tyrell Sutton. I mean, he's fast. He's he's a little, a little more, he's a little uh, shorter, a little stout, but I mean, he's got the muscle. Like, he can actually lower his shoulder and truck people over if he has to. And he's not without missing any of the speed as well. So Mm -hmm, mm if this, if this means that Ryder Stone's going to get more reps as the starting tailback, I'm all for that. Because if you folks haven't seen this kid in action, my word, he, he is the real deal. And I definitely think he can be a very exciting part of this offense. I definitely think he'll compliment Pipkin very well as I'm sure the temptation will always be to keep passing the ball because Montreal, as you know, they love to abandon the run game, even if things are going well. But if, if they actually stay committed, even just a little bit and give stone the chance to like, he did this past week. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cause we saw what William Standback can do. And again, returning as well. Like, uh, uh, I I really think that uh, given the chance, Ryder Stone can really make some stuff happen. And I'm all for that. I mean, I guess we'll see uh, whether Logan gets activated or not. I think uh, the two of them end up splitting the duties as far as uh, running back goes. I mean, listen, we, we, we know what Stefan Logan can do. We know what he brings to the table. I would still like to see them focus more on the future and really give Ryder Stone a chance to ball out, if you will. Now,
1: you mentioned, you know, same thing. You you mentioned that so far we know that Stefan Logan has not been activated. The same thing goes, even though he's practiced this week, is the same for Johnny Manziel. He's not been cleared yet medically to play. And that's why from everything that we're reading from all of the beat writers, it is very possible that uh, Antonio Pipkin is going to get his third consecutive start. With and depending on what happens with the Johnny Manziel situation and uh, if he's cleared or not, it's very possible Manziel will get will be second, uh, second string quarterback, and then from there, uh, our third string would be um,
0: Matthew Schultz. Thank you.
1: Sorry, Matthew Schultz. Yeah, Matthew Schultz. So, um, what? What? Any? Any thoughts? I mean, by the way, it looks like Trey Rutherford may get a shot this week
0: which would be great because yep. again our first our first round draft pick which we don't seem to have too many of those going forward so let's, it's not for the next three years yep yeah let's uh so whatever, whatever we have let's let's make the most of it yeah.
1: so what's your what's your thought on on that situation when it comes to the qb's
0: well i again but i, guys, I so you think
1: both because I can, I can admit both you and i and a lot of players like i we talked to joey alfieri after the game and you i think he was on board with us on this one some aren't and i understand and it, 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 we even all said it, it you know manziel money uh, as far as what he's making not necessarily you know money being when he, if he's on the field he's going to succeed but we think pipkin deserves to get
0: the start now you see this in hockey all the time is you go with the hot hand like if a goalie is playing particularly well you stay with him until he until he's not anymore and, again, it doesn't always work that way. It should work that way in sports is you go with who you think is going to win the game. Mm-hmm. Montreal, however, it's a very unique situation because, yes, you do have this heralded superstar, if you will, and that people are coming out to the stadium to watch. Now, mind you, that's not going to be necessarily a big concern because the game's going to be played in Ottawa. Now, I'm sure fans in Ottawa would love to see Johnny football again, but... It's not their call. Like, it's not going to affect Pipkin's preparation of the game one way or another. He's not right. going to have that sort of sword hanging overhead of, oh gosh, if I screw up, then they're going to take me out and put Johnny Manziel in. And people are waiting to see him play and blah, blah, blah. Like We're not going to have any of that. I think Pipkin has done more than enough to prove that he can be trusted with the football. He can be yep. trusted with the game yep. to do well. Yep. And barring a complete and utter collapse, I don't see any reason to force Johnny Manziel into the game. And I, even I, then, yeah, I, I would still almost rather go with Schiltz over Manziel, especially too if Manziel is not 100% medically cleared. Now we know that I'm of the opinion too that uh, the reason why Manziel kept playing against uh, the Ottawa Redblacks a, a couple weeks ago was because the pressure was on to keep Manziel on the field because people were watching the game strictly for him. But I think that's not going to be the case necessarily. And again, they're, they're, if you want to, if you want Mansell to be playing longer than one season, you got to keep this guy healthy. And if he's if he's not medically cleared, then that's all there is to it. There's, there's not even a discussion at that point. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You may as well you you know what you have in Pipkin. You know what he can do. And oh, by the way, he won the game last week. Mm-hmm. I, there's your argument. As far as I'm concerned, I, I just don't see any logical reason not to start Pipkin. And let him see this through. You saw what he did in Edmonton. You saw what he's done against Toronto. Let's see what he can do against Ottawa. I, I, he'll be facing a team that, again, the first place team in the East, which is, again, still not the greatest accolade to have. But so it is what it is. He's still going to be facing a top-notch defense. Uh, again, we all know what Norrell going to bring. We all saw what he did against the Alouettes the past two games. Uh, he's going to be coming for Pipkin and the Alouettes had better be ready for it. They better be able to give Pipkin the protection and give him a chance to make plays happen. Because you saw what happened. Like this offensive line tightened up considerably and gave Pipkin the chance to move the ball downfield. So if they can do that against this Ottawa Redblacks defense, that's going to make things very interesting. And again, we don't have to worry too much about whether Johnny Football is going to be playing or not. Like I, I yeah. as far as I'm concerned. There's no pressure. There's no pressure to play him. There's no pressure to rush him along. Even if he's 75%, which is still pretty good. Fine. Dress him if you want, but don't force him into the game unless you absolutely positively have to or you absolutely positively feel he can contribute positively. By so the way,
1: even if he's second down, I still find that I still see Schultz doing the third down gambles if we have any.
0: Yeah. And really truly I'm I'm perfectly fine too with Pipkin and Schultz being the one to combo as well, and just have, you know, Manziel there, I don't know, for moral support, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. But good. let let the kids do the heavy lifting for this game, yeah. at the very least. And then, at that point, you're going to go into the bye week they'll give Manziel yet another week to make sure that he's completely recovered and then at that point you can sort of make a decision as to whether you want to continue the Pipkin experiment or are you ready to ease Manziel back into the starting role
1: that's funny it's funny you use the word experiment because for Pipkin right now I would not even use that word
0: I personally wouldn't either but but that's the the impression I get just with how well again this entire season has felt like a big experiment as to Who's going to be leading the Alouettes? I mean, we, we started with Drew Willie, We had Jeff Matthews. We had Vernon Adams. We have got Johnny Manziel. Now we're now we're at Pipkin. I mean, this is this has been one big experiment, one big petri dish, if you will, for for Canadian football. Right. And lo and behold, it just has to be Alouettes that end up being the guinea pigs for this uh, particular experiment. Right.
1: So what's your thought, by the way? Uh, Kyrie Saber, it's very possible that he will return and play his team. Excuse me, and play his team for the very first time since he's uh since he was signed by the Red Blacks in the offseason.
0: Man, they the Alouette, this is what I'm talking about with the Alouettes. they' They're gonna have to double up protection to make sure that Kyrie's Kyrie's given the chance he will he will hurt somebody. That that's just what he does. He's he's the angry bird, man. Like he he knows how to headhunt and he knows how to take people out. Yeah. And I guarantee like he I, I don't know what he knows of Antonio Pipkin, but i'm sure he doesn't care about antonio pipkin all he cares about is knocking this guy out and whatever it's going to take to help ottawa win that's what Kyrie said does because that's what he did in montreal he played with that sort of mindset of if you're in my way i'm going through you mm-hmm. and we loved it we loved it when he was in alouette but oh, yeah. i don't think we're, we're we're not going to love it so much now that he's a red black so
1: <laughs> um I, yeah i i know what you mean it's uh it'll be another test for the for the o-line um so we got third you know, third overall uh, you know, Trevor Harris, third when it comes to passing yards, fourth in touchdowns. Um, what does this Owls team need to do, and who do they need to center on? So uh, what do they need to stop?
0: In, in, Brad or, Sinopoli. In, in, Sinopoli? 100% Brad Sinopoli. This guy, this guy, he just owns the Alouettes. He has owned them all season long. In the two games that the Alouettes have played the Red Blacks, whether it was here in Montreal or in Ottawa – sinopoli just makes this defense look foolish i mean defense has made themselves look foolish too a few times but right, right. my god like just the way that harris and sinopoli just connect and they've been doing it all season long against other teams as well but man something about montreal itself brad sinopoli just seems to get up to another level when it comes to playing at the Like and he finds open spaces where you didn't think there was open spaces and christ uh Trevor Harris is throwing up ducks, wobbly ducks, oh. and somehow Snoply is coming down with them and moving the chains as a result.
1: Yeah. What about uh, what about Greg Ellingson though? Last time that we played, it was more Ellingson than it was Snoply. Well, and, and mind you, and mind the- you, Powell too.
0: Well, and, and this is the thing. like there, There's this three-headed monster going on with the receiving core in, in Ottawa. If it's not Brad Sinopoli, if it's not Greg Ellison, you've got Deontay Spencer. And then on the ground, like you said, William Powell mm-hmm. is very much like Tyrell Sutton. It's just that you give him the opportunity, let him make some make some lanes for him, he will put a hurt on you. That's just the way he plays. That's, and I expect to see more of that as well. So, I mean, this defense really has their work cut out for them. They've really got to be able to contain a lot of people, which is easier said than done. And... All of a sudden, like, Trevor Harris, like, he, he if those guys, if they're able to contain those guys that I just mentioned, Trevor Harris will still find someone else that'll get open. Like, this is the thing. Like, he just, he sees the field in a way that I just don't know how anyone else could be, be able to. And he, again, he makes something out of nothing every single time. Like, you just, I I, I tell you, I, I, I don't know what it is about the guy and just the way he, he looks at things. He must see things just in a completely different light than the rest of the league does. But, man, he... He's found a way to just extend drives over and over again. As again against Montreal, again look at the numbers he's put up. He's put up 400 yards the first time around, nearly oh, just over 500 yards too of passing, wow. if I'm not mistaken, a couple weeks ago. I mean, like you've got to contain this guy. It's easier said than done, but I mean this defense has to find a way to get in Trevor Harris's kitchen by any means necessary, and you've got to rattle him somehow. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you've got to find a way to just make him uncomfortable. And just, again, you, you did the same thing last week against McLeod, Bethel, Thompson. I'm not comparing the two quarterbacks by any stretch. but and, look what Montreal. Ry-
1: and what they did against Riley two weeks ago.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, they know how to do that. They know how to get that pressure on the quarterback. They just have to do it consistently and still somehow contain, like I said, that that three-headed monster of Sinopoli, Spencer, and Ellingson. It, if they can just match keep points off the board, just like they did a couple weeks ago, like a Listen, that game in Ottawa a couple weeks ago was a pretty tightly contested affair. And I have a feeling that this game could very well be like that again. But, again, these are the things you're going to have to do. Like, you're just going to have to find ways to contain them, and then make the most of your opportunities on offense. Like, you saw what Pipkin can do. You know he can make plays happen. And he's going to have to do that over and over again. There's just no two ways about it. Yeah.
1: Um, five dimes, man. we were talking. I sent out a tweet before we did started the show tonight. Five dimes has Ottawa favored by 16 and a half points. And I'm like, are you serious? Really? <laughs> I mean, I can, I can understand. I can understand Edmonton being favored by, uh, by it, was almost, it was almost 20 two weeks ago. But yep. but uh, it's not... It, the Owls did play Ottawa very well the last time. This, this defense was on the field way too much. I, I don't get it. 16 and a half points is in my opinion, I am a open-minded Alouettes fan, and I will say when I think that something is dead on, like it was for Edmonton. But this is ludicrous. <laughs> there's no sixteen and a half points is not is not is not. It's, there's no way. It's way too high, way too high in my
0: opinion. I'm telling you, folks. I I agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, take the points on this one, but but. Like, if I'm not a gambler, but man, I tell you, like, this makes me want to put some money down on, on Montreal just for <laughs> for the simple fact that they will definitely cover. I, they may not win this game, but I think they'll cover 16 and a half points. Yeah, I, I'm like,
1: dude, there's no way, no way, no way at all.
0: Like, uh, I thought casinos were trying to make money here, but you know, yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: um, what, um, before we finish up the show, any, any other tidbits because i got one more thing i want to i want to mention but any any other thing you want to mention before we finish up
0: uh well uh i don't know if you noticed this or not and this will come into factor when uh the bye week is over uh yeah. next home game is going to be against the bc lions and uh, one of the biggest alouette's killers on the bc lions will not be on the team as uh manny Arsenault unfortunately suffered a torn acl That's and true. is pretty well out for the season yeah. so uh that's a guy that's always played extremely hard in Montreal and just finds ways to burn the Alouettes over and over again. So that's a, a very key component of their offense. That's gone just like that. So I, I'm not celebrating the injury by the way. I mean, no, I, no, no
1: you're not. no, I know you're not.
0: But I am pointing out the fact that uh, BC is going to be playing in Montreal in a couple of weeks and, uh, they certainly have some weapons, uh, in their arsenal, but, uh, I mean, to, to not have the Manny show, uh, with them is going to be very tough, especially since they won't have uh, Solomon aluminium Elim- with them as well. So I mean, like, a lot of the key components that you know of for the BC Lions, uh, all of a sudden aren't going to be there. So I'm really interested to see uh, when the Lions come to town, uh, just what they're going to have to do to try and replace uh, a talent like that, because love him or hate him, uh, Manny Arsenault is definitely one of the premier players in the Canadian Football League. And to not have his leadership and his playmaking ability on the team uh, i definitely think is uh is definitely a, a real shot in the gut to uh, to bc lions fans
1: yeah i, I yeah i agree with that's uh, it's just sad again you know we saw what happened with chris williams so it's just sad to see see them go down i want to actually give a shout out uh to some to a woman who has just grown leaps and bounds in this just by from from her work that she's done with within the cfo is to uh Joanna jutra Man, how she has just become the, uh, one of the photo darlings of this league with, the, with the, how she's been able to shoot the league and the many uh, fascinating pictures that she's been able to take. Um, you know, she finally has available, and Cliff, you saw it. The picture that she took is an aerial photograph of Percival Molson during the game uh, this past week, and she has it up on her shop. Uh, it's over at uh, shop dot it's j o h a n y j u t r a s dot com it is an absolutely gorgeous photo and of of this stadium and downtown uh, I think during the game and I uh, I've always said to her I said if you can shoot something because she's taken some of some stadiums before Cliff and I said if there's the right one for for the Alouettes I I will be I will be the one of the, hopefully one of the first ones to buy it and this thing came out, and I was like, "Dude, I gotta buy this thing!" And it's just—it's just gorgeous. I mean, great shot, eh?
0: Absolutely. If uh, you want a, a preview of what it looks like, uh, you can follow her on Twitter as well at uh, Joanne Jutra. Right,
1: right. Yeah, right. It's there. Yeah.
0: And yeah, it's definitely All a, right. a phenomenal photo. Like she even tells you how she took the photo as well. Like I said, going up into a helicopter, the kind of camera shoes, and just the, uh, it's on the way you see this. A great Instagram page too. Oh, man, I, I tell you, she's such a talented eye and a great detail. Like you said, you see the city, you see the the stadium in action. I mean, it's just, it, it pops. I mean, it is just a phenomenal photo. And yeah. like I said, she, she, she's known league-wide as the photographer for the Canadian Football League. But yeah. I tell you, like that, the, when you see those uh, unconventional shots, if you will, because it's one thing to take shots of the stadium itself uh, as shots like of plays going on during the game and all that. And they're, they're all fantastic. But I mean, to get a, a new perspective, if you will, like, you're seeing things that you maybe not, wouldn't have thought about before. And you're seeing it through her eyes. It's just, it, it's phenomenal. There's just no other way to describe just how amazing it is. And yeah, like just take a look at this picture, folks. And yeah, yeah. I, I expect her to be selling quite a few of these prints. Yeah, it's,
1: uh, on fine art paper, you can get one at a five by seven for as low as 35 bucks. And she signs them. So if, if you've gotten your, if you happen to get her uh, her book, the uh, Our League, Our Country uh, book, when she did uh, cause the Kickstarter uh, two years ago, um, hmm. you know, which I, I have too. So it's, you'll, you'll know that she has some great photos. So uh, any Owls fan, head over there. If you like the picture, by all means. Or at least go over there and give her give her some props because it's just, it's just a gorgeous picture. And I said, I'm going to be proud to hang that in my home. Um, so – a uh, couple of a uh, couple of ideas in, in our heads coming up for our bye week uh we hope they come to fruition and uh if there's any more information we can give you we will do so uh maybe some some teasers eh cliff we don't want to get
0: everything away no not at all but uh there's a few folks that have uh reached out to us and would actually like to join us on the flight deck so we're going to see if we can make that happen uh because again like during a bye week it gets kind of lonely. gets kind of tiresome. There's only so much you can really talk about, uh, especially when the team's not playing. So uh, if we can invite uh, a couple of guests onto the flight deck to sit and chat with us about uh, what's going on Alouette's wise, and we can provide that for you, the the good listeners, then we certainly will. Exactly. Exactly. So stay tuned. Like basically check the Twitter at all times. Check at Alouette's FL deck. Be informed. Follow us. Make sure that you're in the know and we'll let you know what's happening. and, you just never know what kind of surprises we're going to have in store for you guys. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we're looking forward to it. So hey, thanks for staying with us for this. Uh, it's just, you know, when we have a win, Cliff and I just seem to be able to talk and talk and talk. And that's that, you know, in this type of circumstance, it's not a bad thing. So we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Cliff, uh, I will see you. I will guess I will see you on the Twitters this weekend since there isn't, since the game is going to be in auto. Are you going?
0: I am not. It's uh uh, I was hoping to be able to uh, work something out to be able to go, but unfortunately, it's just, if it was a Saturday game like it was a couple weeks ago, absolutely I would have been there, but uh, For sure. Friday and uh, personal commitments, it's just, no, I'm just going to have to watch it on TV and uh, just support the team from from home, so to speak. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and then the, the last thing uh, that I want to say before we leave is I want to wish, uh, it's coming up, I want to wish my wife a happy 15th anniversary, wedding anniversary. Um... She puts up with everything I do, especially with football. She is. She even says she's she's a football widow uh, when it comes to the CFL and the Arena League. So it's uh, she puts up with a lot, and uh, I'm sure she's put up a lot, a lot over the past 15 years since we been married. So uh, uh, here's to you, sweetheart. Um, so for everybody here at the flight deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on final approach. Tingo!